Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, Time Management for Mortals. We're a mortal. We are mortals. A lot of time management books uh, assume that we are superhumans or try to make us superhumans, but we are mortal. And unfortunately, the average human lifespan is absurdly, terrifyingly, insultingly short. Certainly is. The first modern humans appeared on the plains of Africa at least 200,000 years ago and scientists estimate that life in some form, we're going to be hanging around, or not we, but life in general, about another one and a half billion years uh, until the heat of the sun, unfortunately, comes in and just consumes everything up. Mm-hmm. For me and you, Astro, and everyone listening right now, assuming we live to 80, we've got about 4,000 weeks yeah. on planet Earth. 1.5 billion years is a hell of a long time for life to persist. And, you know, maybe you get lucky. You might push 90. That's 4.7 thousand weeks. If you're really lucky, the oldest person ever to live, she was 122, a little French woman. Uh, she only lived 6,400 weeks. So, you know, you're averaging about 4,000 weeks. You might get to 6,000 if you're really, really, really lucky. But even still, that's bloody short compared to 1.5 billion years. Yeah, I like how he's done this. It's like a year's sort of abstract, right? 80 mm. years is like an abstract thing, but... You know what a week is. It's wrapped oh, yeah. up in the rain well. And you're like, 4,000 is actually ticking away. And Man, you've, already, you've already done like 1,500 weeks or so, oh. you, you personally. Like, oh, it's God. ticking down pretty quick. Oh, God. 4,000 weeks. It sounds like a lot, but also it sounds like a hell of a lot of nothing. And the issue is, man, we've granted the mental capacities to make infinitely ambitious plans. We've got yeah. these huge things we want to do. It's probably well beyond what you could fit in 4,000 mm. years. So, basically, you've got no time to actually put these things we want to do into action. Yeah. Through evolution, our brains are so incredible, man. We could do literally anything we wanted almost, but we just don't have the time, which means that time management is kind of everyone's number one priority because really, that's what our life is. We're trying to manage this very limited, very finite amount of time to do a seemingly infinite amount of things. And, you know, we've read a whole bunch of different books on, on uh, time management, you know, uh, the four-hour work week, eat that frog, getting things done. We're all, we're trying to squeeze in all these life hacks, these productivity hacks. We're trying to, you know, eat the frogs, and we're trying to uh, go to the oil barrels. I don't know why that one sticks out in the brain of eat that frog, but well, uh, the shit they never taught you as well, mate. <laughs> we got right. a full lesson on it. That's right. There was like four or five books crammed into one on all these productivity hacks. But the problem isn't that these hacks don't work. The problem is they're actually really, really good hacks. The hacks really do work. So, they're all really focused on cranking through as many work tasks as you possibly can uh, or devising the perfect morning routines or batching things and all that sort of stuff. But if that does work, it's really hardly all that matters because you're just going to fill your plate with more work. And at the same time, the world out there, it's bustling with wonder um, and it's not really the productivity gurus is telling you to go out there and and bustle and look at the the planet. They're just trying to get you to get through as much work stuff as possible. Well, yeah, that's it. You're trying to tick off as many things off your to-do list as possible. But really, productivity, it's a bit of a trap. You know, just by becoming more efficient, by ticking off more things, by getting more things done, you're actually just getting more and more kind of rushed. You're scrambling to clear the decks, but even faster than you can clear the decks, more shit's just piling up. Mm. So, 4,000 Weeks is a book about making the best use of our time. Uh, It's written quite differently, probably a very different paradigm to the other time management and productivity books. Because it really starts with the belief that time management, as we know, has failed miserably. <laughs> that right. paradigm, they all suck. Uh, they're <laughs> shitty books. 
and we need to stop pretending that we can ever manage time in this way. He says that the day will never arrive when you finally got everything under control, when that flood of emails has been contained, when your to-do list has been completely crossed off, when you're meeting all your obligations at, at work or at home, when nobody's angry at you for missing deadlines or dropping the ball, and when you've become this fully optimized person that can finally turn their attention to the things that life is really supposed to be about, that day is just never going to come. Yeah, and you know what? It's actually excellent news. So the real problem isn't our limited time that we've only got 4,000 weeks to kick it on planet Earth. The real problem is that we've inherited this pressure to live by some trouble set of ideas, how to use that limited time and just cram shit in for that 4,000 weeks. All of that is just guaranteed to make things worse. (laughs) It's a real predicament that we're in. Uh, he says if to work out how we got to this position, let's go back to peasant days. He says there was a lot of cons of being a peasant. Say if you're, you're pretty lucky to be born today and not born into some medieval English countyside. Um, firstly, if you were born you know, 1,500 years ago in medieval England, you probably wouldn't get those 4,000 weeks. You wouldn't make it to adulthood. Even if you did, your life is going to be full of backbreaking farming. There's going to be some lord ruling over you to force you to do all this crippling amount of work in order to get some measly uh, payment in reward. The church is going to take a fair bit of that as well because uh, you want to try to avoid eternal damnation. So you want to cough up a little bit of your paycheck. There's going to be diseases everywhere. There's going to be plagues. There's going to be you know, no medicine to fix all this stuff. If And once you make it at home, you've probably got a one-room hut. There's a whole, whole bunch of kids crammed in there and no one can really do anything. It's a pretty miserable sort, sort of, of existence. Sucks, man. That it sounds, really sucks. It sounds awful. There's yeah. a couple of things. That, there's an upside to being a peasant. I know I'm balanced, man, where we're both going to land after weighing all the pros and cons. <laughs> but this is huge, man, because one thing they don't have a problem with, and that's the problem of time. Hmm. Even on your most exhaustive days, uh, you'd never it never occurred to you that you've got oh too much to do. You're not running around the office, <laughs> shaking your ear, going oh, so fucking busy. But you know you, you never need to hurry. You never feel that life is moving too fast. Um, let alone the idea that you work life balance wrong. That's just a ridiculous assumption for an old peasant. Yeah, that's right. Even on the really quiet days, you're not bored either. Uh, there's no pressure to always be working on there's no pressure to try to save time because even if you you know take a little afternoon off from threshing grain you head into the village green to watch a cockfight or two it's not like you're shirking from work time you're going to still get the same amount of stuff done even if you take a little break here or there yeah you don't feel guilt today you feel guilt i know Astro, if you went off to the village green to watch a cockfight <laughs> mid-task, you'd probably feel a bit of guilt. You'd have to you'd have to come up with some excuse. You put the out of office on for some very important thing. Uh, you'd be guilty that you're almost stealing the boss's time. You know they're paying for that hour, and you've gone and spent it watching a cockfight. It's almost stealing. But it's so different what we are today to them. Uh, for them, it was like the proverbial fish who had no idea what the water is because it just surrounded them so completely. Whereas we're, well, you could say like a fish out of water um, compared to what they were back then <laughs> having issues with this time-related question. Yeah, whenever somebody asks, you know, how did you spend your day or, you know, what did you achieve this year? Just mentally, your brain goes to these constructions of time. It goes to a, a clock or a watch or a calendar. We're using it as some kind of metaphorical yardstick to measure up, you know, all the things that we wanted to do this year or could have done this year versus the things that we actually did do. The peasants, they didn't have clocks and calendars to compare themselves against, but in our brain, that's just what we do automatically. It's a lot like an unstoppable conveyor belt. Right, like there's new tasks popping up on the conveyor belt, it's passing through. Times there's a lot of things going on in a batch, and you're scrambling through, 
and then you're just sitting there waiting for the conveyor belt to get to the the next stuff. And it, if you improve better, they're going to whack more things on it. Mm. Or they're going to speed the conveyor belt up. And eventually, it's actually going to break down, taking that analogy <laughs> yeah. to the end. And this is re- really where uh, the term burnout comes in. And it's probably becoming more and more common, I think, in people's lives. Yeah, very much so. It's a good metaphor for time that, you know, every hour a conveyor belt, a little box comes along in the conveyor belt, a whole bunch of stuff for you to do. You feel like, you know, there's this box here, so you've got to fill it as most effectively and efficiently as possible by trying to do as much stuff. But the more we do, the quicker that conveyor belt seems to speed up and it's bringing us more and more and more shit. It's not that we can stay on top of things. We can do everything that's sent to us on the conveyor belt. We're never really going to get to do everything and uh, kind of like counterintuitively, the more that we try to do, the more stuff piles up that we can't ever do. Yeah, it was some time in the Industrial Revolution where all of a sudden someone hired someone for the workday where the workday got invented and it's like your boss then all of a sudden owns your time. They're paying you for eight hours and then we started seeing time in those terms and really this is where a threshold had been crossed where you're basically putting a dollar value on, on your time. It's a very right. different paradigm than the old peasant yeah. Boys. It's like, you know, if your conveyor belt's bringing you 24 little boxes a, a day and your boss is saying, well, I bought eight of those boxes, so you better use that as most efficiently as possible. There's a funny bloke here, uh, an iron magnate, Ambrose Crowley, uh, back in 1790, he was saying he couldn't believe how much people were stealing from him. You know, they were taking smoke breaks, they were going singing, they were reading the news, they were, there was all these people gossiping and fighting and he's saying... All these people are doing this on my time. I paid them for those eight hours, those eight boxes on the conveyor belt, and they're basically stealing it from me. So it's a, a total different shift from back in the day when you just play on the fields and watching cockfights. Now, all of a sudden, time and life have been very much separated as a concept. That's it. So time is something, a, a thing to be used, uh, mm. you know, and it, it's this shift that's really caused a lot of the things we struggle with today because once time is a resource to be used, you start mm. to feel pressure. Uh, whether from external force of yourself or your boss or you, you're going, oh, sh- oh, you know, we all have those days, I had a day, a couple of days where you feel like you get nothing done and you're probably mm. berating yourself at the end of the day um, because you wasted your time. Man, I realized recently that I definitely, the days where I've achieved shit and got shit done, I actually sleep better. The days mm. where I've slacked off and haven't done stuff, I'm lying awake at night thinking I wasted all this time. I've got, you know, these 4,000 weeks, the clock's ticking down. I didn't fill up my conveyor belt today. And that's, you know, once you, as you say, once time becomes a resource that you've got to use effectively, that's when you start trying to do all these hacks. You know, you try to start multitasking, you try to find the best way to, to do things in the quickest amount of time possible so that you've got more and more time to do more and more things so you, you can feel satisfied. Yeah, and then your self-worth completely gets bound up with how you're using time um, it merely stop being like the water, like the fish is in uh, and turns into something that you dominate or control and you feel yeah. you're panicked and guilty. And all the books by all these authors we've, we've read doesn't make things better. Really entrenched in that paradigm of making things bad for us is, uh, is Brian Tracy. He's done a whole bunch of issues here. Going to, I'd like to see him go to toe-to-toe <laughs> with uh, what's he, Don. What's his author's name again? Don. <laughs> Not Don, is it? Oliver Berkman. Oliver Berkman. I'd love to see them go toe-to-toe on this one. But Tracy, he wrote, master your time, master your life. And you know that's basically saying if you don't master your time and fill it up with everything, yeah. you haven't mastered your life and you basically suck at life. And those peasants, they get an F. So the big problem here is that this attitude that we've got towards time, it's really setting up a rigged game that's literally impossible for us to ever feel as though we're doing well enough. You know, instead of, you know, simply living our lives like the peasants from 1500 years ago, instead of time just unfolding as it goes, time now becomes a clock that we can really measure ourselves against. 
So it's a dictatorship, really, in this way. The, the clock's dictating your life, the schedule, the Google Calendar alert. It's a bit gives you this joyless urgency of your life, and the constant feeling that you ought to get more done. So the the trouble with attempting to master your time, it turns out, is that time masters you. Now that we've kind of worked out, you know, how did time evolve? Where does this concept, abstract, you know, made up concept of time come from? Kind of leads us on to busyness. Now, everyone, everyone's kind of seemingly busy all the time. They, you know, as a joke goes, you know, how do you know if someone's busy? It's kind of like if they're a vegan or if they do CrossFit, don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> it's funny that CrossFit, CrossFit is a, a like that. It's a big cult. <laughs> bit, bit jealous of their bods though. It's all very fit. But research shows that it's on every rung of the economic ladder. You think the people on the top, they're just chilling out on yachts and hanging out. It's not mm. the case because let's say you're starting on the very bottom. Uh, you've obviously, it might be a single parent and you've got two two jobs and you're feeding. Obviously, that we all know that's busy. Yeah, you're going to be busy for sure at that level. But all of a sudden, if you move up the ladder, uh, you obviously get a nicer house. But with the nicer house means higher mortgage payments and then higher demands on your time because there's you know, higher well-paid jobs sometimes, a lot more conflict and a lot more pressure that comes along with it. And then even if you are getting on top of that, you probably want to be more involved with your children's lives. Or, And if you're on top of that, maybe dedicate yourself to a cause like fighting climate change or something. That's right. It doesn't matter how high up this economic ladder you climb, everybody's going to be equally busy. Obviously, busy doing different things, but really the core problem that it boils down to is we feel like the things that we must do are physically more than the things that we can do. There's all these things that we want to do. There's all these things that we think we should do. There's all these things we think we must do. But at the end of the day, we just can't do it all. In ancient Greek myth, the gods punish King uh, Sisyphus, pronounce that right, <laughs> for his arrogance by sentencing him to push an enormous boulder up a hill only to see it roll back down again and then he's condemned to repeat it for eternity. What did he do, man, to, to deserve that? Was he saying, I'm on top of things, and they're like, no, they're not? <laughs> well, that's, I think that's the metaphor. I think big old King Sisyphus thought he could do anything that came his way, so they said, okay, push this boulder up a hill, and every day it's going to go back down, and you've got to start again. Similarly today, I guess we're all copping a bit of the uh, Sisyphus syndrome, where we all think, yeah, we, we're pretty arrogant. We can stay on top of things. We've, learned, we've read a few productivity books. We've learned a few life hacks. You know, we can probably get everything done that we possibly want to get done. The kind of the modern version of, of the old King Sisyphus pushing a boulder up a hill is uh, would be giving somebody an email inbox. You know, Sisyphus, every day, he'd be like, okay, I've got these 60 things that I get through. He replies to everybody, takes a big deep breath. He leans back and says, yep, I've got it. Right and then, ping, <laughs> you've got a new email. Yeah. You know, I used to work with someone. I, I don't know if this is normal for like sitting with the notifications on as soon as an email comes in, mm. ping. And they just like jump on it straight away and start like forgetting whatever they're doing to do that. Like on the surface, they might think they're they're um, super productive, yeah. But really, they're probably just speeding this conveyor belt yeah. up quicker because they get a a uh, a reputation for being very good at customer service and responding really quickly. And then there's probably more <laughs> uh, and less and less important items get thrown at them, and that's right. they're just like, pinging oh. around all day like sissy. <laughs> that's right. Everyone's like, "Oh, Hannah in the corner there. She replies to her email so quickly. Let's give her all the important customer service stuff." And all of a sudden, that email box is pinging quicker and quicker and quicker. Mate, have you? Uh, I've gotten pretty good at delete on the emails for that. So have you? Sometimes you just let them let them sit there and. If someone follows up, then probably get onto it. But a lot of the times, they don't follow up. Yeah, <laughs> and I just let it sit there until it until it gets forgotten about. Um, and the, of course, the problem is, you know, if we're if we're Sisyphus and we're we're pinging those emails back all the time, and we 
eventually get everything done, all of a sudden, you know, the goalposts are shifting. It's not okay, well, now I've done these emails. Maybe I should get onto this report. Oh, now I've finished this report. You know, maybe I'll get onto starting the new strategy for next year. It's like it's you're never going to get through all the tasks on your to-do list. It's literally impossible. It's a big efficiency trap and we've been speaking a lot about uh, quantity of time where you're, you're filling up all your time. But the worst aspect of the trap, it, it also really uh, affects the the quality of the time that you have left on the things you want to do. Yeah, as we said, you know, the more you kind of get through stuff done, you've got this long to-do list, you got, you know, 20 things on your to-do list, you probably think, you know, I'm going to tackle, you know, number 20, 19, 18, 17, I'm going to tick those off as quickly as possible. All of a sudden, as you say, you, you become known as a person who can get shit done. And then someone's lumping on 21, 22, 23, but you're never getting to, you know, number three, number two, number one. You're always just kicking around the least important stuff because if your goal is to do as much as possible, be super productive, you're going to start with the lowest, least important stuff that's going to be the quickest and easiest to do. So one can waste years this way, like always postponing the things you care about the most. You're just cycling through yeah, 30 to, to one and then you're given hardly any energy to, to for your one to five. He's got a really counterproductive strategy here and that's actually rather than dealing with as many things as possible, it's actually dealing with the feelings of anxiety of feeling overwhelmed. Mm. You get that sense of overwhelm creeps up. You're like, holy shit, I've got 20 things to do today. Uh, the obvious way, the way that you know, getting things done or, or whatever, you know, master your time, master your life, all the books that Big Berkey's hanging shit on, the obvious thing to do is to start ticking through that to-do list. But what Oliver's saying is, you know what, there's probably a different approach here. Rather than you know, treating that anxiety by quickly jumping onto work and doing as much as possible, sometimes the way to deal with the anxiety is just let it brew up. Just mm. realize that you're never going to clear all those decks and even if you do, more shit's going to pile on there. So you just kind of kind of got to cop the overwhelm. Well, that's uh, <laughs> so. I'm guessing, Ash, show those twenty to to five. There's a few spot fires in there, but you mm. realise it's not a one to five spot fire in terms mm. of priority. And just let those spot fires just burn a little, because <laughs> yeah. in in the scheme of things, they're not that important. Even though you could let your brain feel like they're more important than they are. So get over that overwhelm and, and let that fire burn, baby. That's right. You're saying Tom it's Jones. Sitting, it's <laughs> burning down the house. Is that what you? Oh yeah, I don't know where you're going. <laughs> That was a yeah, just popped it's up good, in the head. good song. It's one of my most played, but the original, not the Tom, not not the Chum Jones one. But uh, what basically what he's saying is that instead of clearing the decks, decline to clear the decks. So the core challenge of managing our limited time isn't about how to try and get everything done. We've said that it's just never going to happen. But it's really how to most wisely decide not what to do and mm. feel peace about not doing it. That's right. We need to get better at procrastinating. Procrastinating says it's it's inevitable in some kind. You know, at any given moment, you're procrastinating on everything except for the one thing that you're doing. So it's important to procrastinate in the right way on the right things. He's saying you can't avoid procrastination. It's going to happen no matter what. So just neglect the right things. Often we're <laughs> oh. we're, we're procrastinating by saying, "Oh, I'll get to that big thing, number one, two, or three priority. I'll get to that later." And you're procrastinating on that. He's saying you should procrastinate on the other stuff. I don't know if this links in, man. Let me know if it doesn't. But I feel like <laughs> no, go sometimes it, we'll I go to wake up at 5 a.m., yeah. but I'll let the alarm go and then I'll yeah. feel guilty between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. of doing mm. nothing and lying in bed. Mm. I probably should have just slept in till 6. Yeah. <laughs> so rather than stop that guilt, right? <laughs> so, so being yeah. a better procrastinator would be actually sleep in till yeah. 6. It's <laughs> probably the same goes for a lot of the things that you actually want to do. Schedule in the, the, the things you want to procrastinate on and mm. procrastinate fully. <laughs> And lose that guilt. <laughs> I like it. 
<laughs> I like it. There's a he's he's hung shit on a fair few books so far. He's going to hang shit on another one. Stephen good Covey, strategy. great Covey. strategy. Oh yeah, good good for for book promotion for sure. The Stephen Covey book, First Things First, which um, I haven't read. It sounds like he's just ripped one of the seven habits and gone deeper on it. Maybe he was going to do seven books of one of each habit and see if it sold. Maybe this one didn't oh, he sell. Went to ex- well. he, he wrongly went to exploit mode yeah, after exploring right. the seven yeah. habits and. We've tried a few of his books after he did that. The eighth they didn't habit. really click, was... man. Yeah, and no, I was a stinker. <laughs> it was a stinker. But there was one good thing came out of this first things first, and it, you might have heard it before. It's a, a metaphor or a bit of a story. It may be real. I, I think it's probably made up. But he, you know, it's a, a teacher comes in. He, a teacher carries a whole bunch of big rocks, a few small pebbles, a bag of sand, and a large glass jar. And so he says, you know young whippersnappers, young kitties, can you please fit all this stuff into this jar? And of course, students, they're a bit bit stupid in this, in this story. You know, they're like, okay, well, the sand, let's put that in and then let's put the pebbles in. Oh, shit, these big rocks, they don't fit in anymore. And then all of a sudden, the teacher's like, haha, you dumb little kids, I'll show you how it's done. Put the big rocks in first, then put the pebbles and then the sand can just fit in all the gaps. And so the teacher's like, this is how you do life effectively. It's a pretty wonderful analogy, before we're about to tear it apart, but <laughs> it makes sense. Do the big rocks first. Put the most important things in first. Fit that in, and then around that, the pebbles can sort of like make its way, and then mm. the sand comes in at the very end. Rather than just like you know, so you're basically starting a one to five on your to do list, uh, or the most important items, not starting from the the bottom or the top down. Yeah, it makes sense. It's like that. Eat that frog. Yeah, you you eat the big rock first and put that in the jar. But the problem. So this is my. We be careful. The amount of. <laughs> Uh, productivity book analogies. We just <laughs> eat we that rock. Maybe that's the next one. The one thing, <laughs> dominoes to the moon. Anyway, keep going. The uh, the problem is uh, Berkman saying is that Covey and this this uh, smart ass teacher they were pretty clever because they knew that they only brought the three big rocks. He's saying really in life we've got ten or fifteen. We've got probably fifty big rocks, really big important things that we want to do, and there's no way that they're all fitting in that jar. That's it. So. Really, the way if he was true to the analogy, he's bringing in fifty rocks, yeah. uh, probably <laughs> a, a, a ton of sand, calling up Jim's mowing lawns or whatever, right. getting pebbles from down the road, and you just got this little jar. So that's yeah. probably close to the analogy. That's right? what, yeah, that's that's what he's saying is a better analogy for kind of time management. And so what Berkman's saying is, okay, we need to practice the art of creative neglect. He's got three principles for the big rocks. Now the first principle is pay yourself first when it comes to time. It's a phenomenal idea, right? Mm. Because he takes this from Richest Man in Babylon. I think Rich Dad Poor Dad. There's a few books that just say, "Pay yourself first. Mm. Get the salary. Pay yourself first. Yeah, um, obviously in financial terms, they're talking about. But in these terms, in terms of time, what do you want to do uh, with your time? What are your big rocks? And put them in your calendar first. If mm. you like playing golf, if you like doing gardening, if you like doing creative projects, whatever you want to do, that goes in first. And of course, then there's some some neglect to all the other things. Yeah, that's right. And I, I, I kind of like it. You know, he's taken that financial principle and applied it to time. And so, you know, if you spend, you know, you're going to spend your 4,000 weeks doing something. So, he's saying you may as well at least pay yourself first, assign a bunch of time towards doing some of those big rocks that are most important to you. The second principle is limiting your work in progress. So, yeah, the most appealing way to reduce the um, finite amount of time is you you get a lot of big goals, large number of projects, and you try and do them all at once. And that way, you feel as though you really got all the irons on the fire and you're getting a lot of stuff done and you're making progress on all fronts. That's what you feel like, but probably not the best way. Mm. 
yeah, he's saying that you know you, there's probably ten big rocks that you want to do. You can't do all ten at once properly. He's saying you can probably do all ten, and they might take five years each, but you do them sequentially rather than all at the same time. So he's saying limit the number of big rocks you're trying to tackle and squeeze into that jar to just you know one or two at a time, and really focus on those. And the third principle is the allure of middling priorities. So there's a famous story of Warren Buffett going up to the pilot mid-flight. Apparently, pilots can pilots just can have must be a pretty easy job. Just, <laughs> it was actually the other way. The pilots coming back to talk to Buffett. Oh, really? The pilots like I'm flying Buffett. I'm going to go get some advice. Oh, Jesus! If you're Buffett, you're go like, and fly Mate, the plane. Get, get back up. Get what back are you on doing the plane. <laughs> anyway, Buffett had some great advice. He said, "What are your top priorities? Give me 25 of them." Yeah. And so, you know, the pilots listed out his, his 25 things and said, okay, Buffett said, okay, put him in order. What are the 25 things that you most want to do? And so he's made a whole bunch of different things he wants to do. And Buffett says, okay, take this top five. This is going to be your core shit. Cross out number six through 25. And kind of what uh, Buffett was saying is that the hardest shit, the most important thing you can do in terms of maximizing what you do for those top five is ignoring six through 25. Those 6 through 25, they're going to be nagging away there. You're going to be thinking you should go and do those things, but they're obviously going to pull you away from numbers 1 through 5. So it's not just like you know the Netflix and the Instagram and the TikTok, the things that are going to sap your time. He's saying that the biggest time sap is a 6 through 25. The things that you think are second-tier priorities, that are going to pull you away from that top five, that top-tier priorities. So as, as Elizabeth Gilbert explains, we've done a few of her books. Well, actually, we don't want to her book. But in fact, she says uh, it's really hard. Uh, you need to learn how to start saying no to the things you actually want to do. Mm. There's some things you want to do mm. and get you really excited. And that's the recognition mm. because you've only got one life and there's no way you can get it all in there. So the dream of uh, somehow one day getting the upper hand on time, getting all our things done, crossing off our to-do list, answering all those emails, doing everything that we possibly want to do, it's not going to happen. And if we try to do it, we're destined to fail. Because it's so limited, we're never going to get the commanding position that we can handle it all. So we get to the tough point where we need to make some tough choices about what we want to do and start neglecting the things that aren't mm. important. Let those spot fires burn, baby, burn, <laughs> baby, burn. <laughs> That oh, that's a different song. Burn. That's baby. the song Burn. I was That's what you're of. thinking. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it worked. <laughs> the average human lifespan, as we said, it's absurdly, terrifyingly, insultingly short. And it's not really a, you know, knowing that, it's not some reason to panic or despair. Generally, it sends us into some anxiety-fueled pursuit of trying to do everything possible. But really, we should take this as a bit of a relief. Because life's so short, there's no way we're ever going to do all the things we possibly want to do. So instead, it's time to go and roll up your sleeves and start working on that small handful of things that you actually can get done. 